About 40 years ago, Dr. Benjamin Spock became a household name. He was famous for telling an entire generation of parents to take it easy on their children. Don't discipline your children. You might damage their fragile egos. Allow your children to express themselves. And millions followed after his advice, which went unchallenged for decades. But before his death, Dr. Spock made a shocking discovery. He was wrong. These were his words. We have reared a generation of brats. Parents aren't firm enough with their children for fear of losing their love or incurring their resentment. This is a cruel deprivation that we professionals have imposed on mothers and fathers. Of course, we did it with the best of intentions. We didn't realize until it was too late how our know-it-all attitude was undermining the self-assurance of parents. Oops. That's a pretty big oops. But something similar happened in the church as well. In the past 10 years, if you had attended any church conference, the leaders would have told you what a strong and growing church was supposed to look like. They would list off this important list. These things are so important. If you want your church to be strong, if you want the people in your church to be followers, this is what it looks like. And so they would rattle off marketing strategies and demographic studies. And they would teach you how to use cutting-edge technology to draw in the crowds. And the crowds came. And the megachurch concept was born. But just a few years back, Bill Hybels, who was the founder of the megachurch movement, he came out and he said, I was wrong. This is what he said. We made a mistake. What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling them and teaching them that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people and taught them how to read their Bibles and how to do spiritual disciplines much more aggressively on their own. It wasn't about getting them in the building. It was about teaching them that God loved them and how do we respond to that love. Another big oops. Because there was such a focus on the goal of getting those people into the building that they missed the real goal of the church. You know that one where Jesus said, go and make disciples? That's the goal of the church. And they were so focused on the external attributes of what they believed strength and success looked like. And they were so focused on man's plans for the church that they neglected to see God's plan. They missed the point that it was the internal attributes that gave the church its strength, that gave the followers the strength to withstand the storms of life. It's a heart matter. It's not a strategic matter. And so as we go in our study of rethinking life, in our study of Colossians, we have to know what our goal is. What is our destination? If we're planning to enter a triathlon, 
We're going to train a little bit differently than if we're going to run a marathon. And so that's why we need to understand, what's our goal? What does it look like? And in our text this morning, that's exactly what Paul does. He shows us what our goal is. He shows us what God's vision is for us. Paul shows us in our text what God has called us to be and what mature faith actually looks like. Because God wants you to have a fulfilling faith. God wants you to know that you have value. He wants you to know that he has a purpose for you. So how do we get there? What does it look like? Paul starts right out. I want them to be encouraged. He wants us to have a faith that remains strong in difficult times. Because in the good times, you don't need to be encouraged. You're already encouraged. You're already there. You need encouragement when times are tough, when you're facing challenges. Listen to the prophet Habakkuk. He watched evil all around him. And he cried out to God, Why? Why are you silent? Why am I not seeing you work? And these were his words from chapter 3. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. You see, a fulfilling faith holds on because of the confidence in God's character. We know that God is good, and we know that God is faithful. Some of you come here this morning, you're exhausted. Whether it's physical issues, financial issues, relationship issues, you're spent. Maybe you feel like, I have nothing left to give. I've got nothing left. Lord, when are you going to step in? That's exactly where God needs you to be. So he can show you his strength that's in you. You might be weary, but your God is strong. In the last two weeks, I had two illustrations of, of this. One of them was a gentleman who was at the end of his rope. He was utterly exhausted by the trials of his life. He was physically beat up, spiritually beat up, emotionally spent. I can't do it anymore. He said, I cannot go on. There's nothing. I don't know what God wants from me. I can't do this anymore. I pray and I pray and I don't get the answers I want. That's the key. You're not getting the answers you want. God's giving you what you need, which is showing you that you need him. And then another person I had met with this past week was a woman who had lost both her husband and her daughter within a five-month span. And as she told me her story, all she kept saying was, but I have a blessed life. My life has been blessed. You see, one was at the edge of desperation, and God's saying, do you trust me? Take my hand and let me lead you because I have a plan. The other 
had already trusted in God's plan, knowing that God was good and that God was faithful. And she was able to say, I am blessed because God is good. Not because the things around me are good, but because God is good and God is faithful. Church, God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. We just need to trust him. Paul continues to remind us what a strong and fulfilling faith looks like in the second part of verse 2. Paul says, I want them to be knit together by strong ties of love. Have you ever received a gift of a blanket that someone knitted for you? It's truly a labor of love. It's a sacrificial work born out of caring and compassion and thankfulness for another. My grandmother was a knitter. She still is. And so when each of my kids were born, she knit them all blankets. And even 20 years later, we have a box this large of the blankets that she made for them. But they treasure those blankets because it's a symbol of her love for them. And Paul tells us that the church is to be knit together in love. Because love in the church is a magnetic power. Love in the church, it draws people in. Because we all want to be loved. Not for what we do, not for what we have, simply for who we are. We want to be loved right where we're at, unconditionally. Because love with conditions isn't love at all. What should love look like in the church? If we're knit together in love, what does it look like? It means that we treasure one another. It means that when you're hurting, I'm hurting with you. And when you need support, I'm there to hold your arms up to pray with you. When we're knit together in love, we treasure each other. It means that we see a person's gifts and abilities, not their faults and their failures. It means that we rally around one another and support one another. It means that we let each other have those bad days because we're all going to have those bad days. And when we are knit together in love, we easily forgive, knowing that we all have those bad days. It means that we act in kindness towards one another. Being knit together in love means that we stand up for one another. And being knit together in love means that we put the cause of Christ first before all things, including our likes and our preferences, or even our own comfort. When we're knit together in love, We listen to a list like that, and we discover ways that we can love better. Not pick it apart and say, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's stupid. No. When we're knit together in love, we look at that list and we say, oh, I can do that. I can do that. See, it was Paul's desire that the Colossians would remember that the love of Christ knits us together, unites his body, the church when there are divisions in the church, when there are factions in the church, usually it's because someone's taking their eyes off of Jesus. Because Jesus unites us. 
as one. We are one in Jesus. He's our common bond. And it's his love that works in our heart. And when we commit to the spiritual benefit of everyone, it's his love that the world sees. Paul said to the Philippians, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Why? Because that was the same attitude that Christ had. And that's the attitude that needs to come out of you as well. When you're knit in love. But we do need to be careful not to confuse unity with uniformity. Because uniformity is the result of an outside force. Uniformity is wanting everyone to be just like you. You should come to church dressed like this. You should come to church wearing a hat. You should come to church doing this. You shouldn't drink. You shouldn't smoke. You should. That's uniformity. That is not unity. The beauty of the church is in its diversity. And yet, it's united in Christ. See, unity in the church is a result of the love of Christ working in the heart of every person in the body. Then Paul moves on to the third sign of a strong and fulfilling faith. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This doesn't mean that you're going to have all this great knowledge once you become a believer and follower of Christ. In fact, that's quite the opposite. The more you learn, the more you know you don't know. Paul wants us to understand the truth of Jesus Christ. He wants us to search the scripture for truth, not just rely on opinions, not just rely on emotions and feelings. Get into the word, learn God's promises, because that's what stabilizes you through the hard times. God's word gives us something to hold on to. God's word gives us hope. When we spend time in the word, that's where we find the confidence in our walk with Jesus. Because in the word, we learn about the Lord. And when we know the Lord and we learn about him, we gain a better understanding of our salvation. The depth of where we were and where he's pulled us up from. When we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again, and we confess our sins before a holy God and repent of our sinful past and commit our lives to him, that's where we find confidence. Our confidence is in that position that we have in Christ. And that confidence starts to filter out all your doubts and all your fears when you're in those challenging times. Ah, but I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a son of the king. My confidence is in my position before God because of Jesus Christ. We may not know or understand all of it. We're not meant to. But you're a child of the one who does know it all. And that's the knowledge and understanding that Paul's talking about. And then Paul continues again, verse 4, with another sign of strong and fulfilling faith. 
He said, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. See, a strong and fulfilling faith is discerning in confusing times. See, the Colossians, remember, they were dealing with false teachers. They were dealing with false doctrines. They were teachers trying to discredit Jesus as God. Jesus wasn't a deity. Jesus was just another man is what they were being told. And so Paul's saying, don't let those people tell you falsehoods. Be discerning of the truth. We have the same responsibility. We live in a time where discerning the truth can be a challenge. Because not everyone who claims to be an expert is really an expert. Sometimes we let our feelings about people get in the way of the facts. When we like people, sometimes we elevate their opinions to truth or to fact. But not everything that sounds good really is good. When you hear someone talk about faith, when you hear someone talk about God, when you hear someone talk about Jesus... Don't just take it at face value. Put it back up against the scripture. Don't let man be the definer of truth for you. Let God speak his truth to you. The point is, in this age of internet and media, you can probably find support for anything that you want to believe. You want to believe that Elvis is still alive? there's There's an internet page for that. That people will tell you that, yes, Elvis is alive. I've seen him. He's alive. Or if you want to believe that the earth is flat, believe it or not, there is a group that is out there that believes the earth is flat. And they will convince you with all this information. There's even a group that will try to tell you that fluoride is the government's effort to control you. I'm telling you, you can believe, whatever you want to believe, there's a group that will come alongside and give you support for that. Maybe you want to believe that you can be a Christian and live any way you want. You'll find support for that on the Internet, too. There are groups that will say, Jesus died. He saved you from your sins. Now you can live any way you want because you're forgiven. That's not scriptural, but you can still find support for it. See, everything in our life, especially as we rethink life, needs to be passed back through and seen through the lens of the word. With our goals in mind for a fulfilling faith, with our goals in mind for a strong and loving faith, in a discerning faith, we need a foundation to build upon. In Paul's words in verse 6, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. When we turn our lives over to Christ, it's the first step to becoming rooted in him. And just as plants draw nourishment from the soil, we are to draw nourishment and life-giving strength from Jesus. But without roots, without nourishment, a plant dies. Makes me think of the parable of the sower that Jesus shares in Matthew 13. He says, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, 
And because they had no root, they withered away. See, being rooted in Jesus means growing deeper with him. It's being connected to him in ways that we draw constant nourishment and strength from him. If we want a faith that stands firm, if we want a faith that stays strong in the trials, if we're going to rethink our lives, we must build a foundation on our relationship with our Savior. Because it's only when our roots go deep that he can then build us up. You ever see bonsai trees? They're little kind of dwarf trees. You know, there's a reason why they stay so small. It's not just because they prune the top. They also have to prune the roots. One of the things that keeps those bonsai trees from growing bigger and that keeps them small is that the owner has to prune their roots and cut them short. They purposely stunt the growth of the tree by cutting back the roots so they can't grow deep. The shallower the root, the smaller the tree. Compare that to a mighty oak tree. The majestic size and the growth of an oak tree is due to its massive root system. It sustains it and strengthens it, the entire tree. You know, an oak tree has long been the symbol of strength and endurance, all because of its root system and its ability to grow deeper so it can grow higher. That's the same way with our faith. How do we expect to have a grand faith? We look at people, giants of faith, we sometimes call them. How do they do it? I want a faith like that. Well, stop cutting your roots so short, and you'll have that kind of faith. Grow like the oak tree, not the bonsai tree. See, as we, think it, as we rethink our lives, as we rethink our values and our priorities, as we rethink our purposes, we have to discover where we're rooted. Because like the bonsai tree, sometimes we prune our own roots. We're stunting our own growth because we let doubts and fears take over. Sometimes our pride cuts our roots. Maybe we're letting the world prune our roots. Or the people around us, we're letting them cut back our roots. Distractions, keeping us from spending time in God's Word. Distractions that keep us out of prayer. Satan wants nothing more than to keep you from growing deeper in Christ. But the good news is that God wants nothing more than you to be built up in Christ. But we need to choose where we're rooted. Are we rooted in him, or are we rooted in the world? Know that God is faithful. He will continue to build you up as long as you choose to grow deeper in him. But don't be too hard on yourself. It's a lifelong process. The entire Christian walk is about being built up in Jesus. We call it sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. It's about yielding our will, our stubbornness over to the Father so he can make us more like Jesus. So we're more fulfilled, more faithful, more loving, strengthened and purposeful in our work. You know, even an oak tree takes 30 years to produce one acorn. And even after that, it could take another 60 years before it reaches maturity. 
because it has to keep growing deeper so it can grow bigger. Growth is dependent on where we're rooted. I'm going to share this poem I found about the oak tree because it really symbolizes the importance of where we're rooted. A mighty wind blew night and day. It stole the oak tree's leaves away, then snapped its boughs and pulled its bark until the oak was tired and stark. But still the oak tree held its ground while other trees fell all around. The weary wind gave up and spoke, How can you be standing, oak? The oak tree said, I know that you can break each branch of mine in two, carry every leaf away, shake my limbs and make me sway. But I have roots stretched in the earth, growing stronger since my birth. You'll never touch them, for you see, they are the deepest part of me. Until today, I wasn't sure of just how much I could endure. But now I've found, with thanks to you, I'm stronger than I ever knew. That sums up the Christian walk. Yo, Satan wants nothing more than to tear you down. Satan wants to rip your branches in two. He wants to rip the leaves off your branches. But if you're growing deep, he can't take you and topple you over. We have to choose where we're rooted. Are we digging deeper, standing firm like the oak tree against the storms of life? Or are we cutting back our roots with worldly pursuits, with the distractions and negativity of the world, so that we stay shallow? And when the storms come, they knock us down. As we rethink our lives, are we spending our time in prayer? Are we seeking fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ for encouragement? Are we spending time in the Word? Because we need to get in the Word. We need to be in the Bible. That's where God reveals himself to us. And as we learn about him, as we learn about his character, we'll start to train ourselves to trust him more than we trust our own abilities. And when we do that, that's where we find a fulfilling faith. That's where we become more loving. And that's when we become more of what God wants us to be. And as we rethink life, isn't that what we want? To be what God wants us to be. We have to allow God to work in our lives. And we do that by making sure that we're rooted in him first. Because when we're rooted in him, he can build us up. And that's where we find a fulfilling faith and a strong faith and a loving faith. That's the kind of faith that looks out there with mercy, that looks out there with compassion and says, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm here. I'm here for you. Use me. I want that kind of faith. I want you guys to have that kind of faith. I want you guys to want to have that kind of faith. Because I know that God has a purpose for every one of you. He loves you. He values every one of you. And he has a purpose. 
I just hope that every one of you see it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We come here this morning, Father, and thankful for your grace, thankful for your mercy. May your word just soak right into our souls this morning, Father. May we even grasp the concept of how much you love us. May we grasp just a little bit of your vision for us in our lives. May we grasp a little bit of the purpose that you have for our lives. As we rethink our lives, Lord, show us where we can do better. Show us where we can grow. As we leave this place, Father, may we be encouraged and challenged, and may we bring a light of Christ beyond these walls. May we bring the light of Jesus into our workplaces, into our shopping areas, into our homes, into our friends' homes. May we... May we be witness of your glory. In Jesus' precious and holy name.